0: me back tomorrow, taking all that I can stand through the weed of the world from the palm of your hand.
1: Good morning and welcome to Lift Your Spirits Radio on 11:50 a.m KKNW in Seattle. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington, which is a nonprofit organization advocating for scientific integrity in public health policies, healthy immunity, and fully informed consent. Like all of our shows, what we're presenting today is for educational purposes only, but we hope what you hear is going to spur you on to action, uh, to learn more, to tell others, and really kind of feel empowered to be healthy and happy in your own life. Uh, Today, we have an amazing guest with us, a woman I like to call friend. Uh, Jennifer Margulis. Uh, Jennifer Margulis, PhD, is an award-winning science journalist and author of several books, including an amazing one that is still a bestseller today, Your Baby, Your Way, Uh, Taking Charge of Your Pregnancy, Childbirth, and Parenting Decisions for a Happier, Healthier uh, Family. She's a Fulbright grantee and a much sought-after speaker. She's also co-author of a book called The Vaccine-Friendly Plan and The Addiction Spectrum with Dr. Paul Thomas. Some of our listeners might know Dr. Thomas. I want to get him on the show one of these days. Um, Right now, Jennifer is writing a biography about her mother, somebody you might not have heard of, and yet her work has impacted the world. She was an evolutionary biologist whose theory of symbiosis revolutionized the concept of how life on Earth began and changed. Jennifer is a meticulous researcher who is one of a rare but luckily growing breed of journalists who not only have journalistic integrity, but the nerve to write the facts as she finds them. And she's not afraid to be controversial. She's nationally known as a science journalist who opens people's eyes to the realities behind accepted practices in healthcare and medicine. Welcome, Jennifer.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Bernadette. It's nice to be here.
1: Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and you're joining us from Oregon. How are things down in Oregon? Uh, very, very hot. Uh, oh. It was
2: 90. 90- degrees last yesterday and it's going to be in the 90s today Uh, but I live in the southern part of the state where we do not get a lot of rain so people think of Oregon and they think of rainy days we have brilliant bright sunshine and I'm also blessed to be in a community that's tremendously healthy we've had exactly zero deaths from COVID-19.
1: That is fantastic you know health and disease resistance go hand in hand. One of the things that really has annoyed me um, is watching for the past few months our public health leaders stand at podiums and say, there's no cure, there's no prevention, there's nothing we can do, wash your hands, hide. And you're, you're just shouting. Wait a minute. You tell us that stress impairs your health, that that um, having underlying health conditions and um, being overweight and smoking, all of these things increase our, re- our um, susceptibility to infection and disease. So why don't you admit the opposite is true, right? The opposite is true. Tell people, don't smoke. Take vitamin D see you know a naturopath or somebody knows how to build uh real health in you they don't say that it's like if they say vitamin c i feel like they're going to be penalized or something they're like see they're like afraid to go there they can talk pharma but they won't talk nature and i find that what do you think yeah no you're not (laughs) well no
2: it's not it's not that they're actually it's not a it's a it's a genuine fear because um i think many of the doctors if not all of the doctors in our state were were sent letters from the federal government by the FTC and other um, entities telling them that if they gave natural remedies for COVID-19 including mention of vitamin C and vitamin D they were under some kind of federal violation and they were being investigated so it's not that people are afraid of getting in trouble for giving alternative health advice it's that they are actually getting in trouble for giving alternative health advice which is very surprising in a way because don't we all have the same goal I always say this about any issue that we're talking about no matter how controversial that our goal is to have healthy happy people I loved the introduction to your show because I think that that's what we want we all want our kids to be healthy and happy and if we can find ways to promote health and happiness why would we Stop that conversation.
1: Um, It does show uh, the corporate capture of our public health agencies by the drug industry. That they're not allowed to go there. Um, on the the way, I know that the because there's been um, naturopaths and and other alternative caregivers in Washington State and across the United States who have received such letters of cease and desist, publishing your information. Um, they use the same language. They may potentially use for people touting drugs or actual things that are harmful, in that they say you cannot say that that. Cures or treats, specifically COVID, because there's been no studies saying that. And I don't know if they're coming down hard because I haven't really looked on. No, I don't think they are on on, on doctors using um, drugs to treat. So what what the doctors really have to do is be very careful with the language and how they put it out there. They have to say this study shows that vitamin C reduces inflammation and increases glutathione levels and that sort of thing. And this may help with the symptoms of COVID. So it's, you have to be so careful in the language in order to not be knocked down. Um, And it, it, yeah, it's, so much needs to change and I, I always say that there's that silver lining in this COVID chaos um, is that all of these key issues we've been talking about for years the general public is being able to see why they are so important so we're going to in our conversation today we're going to be leading to a very important question does symbiosis hold the key to health and happiness and COVID-19 um Before we get to that specific question, I want to start, I want listeners to learn about you, who you are, Jennifer, and how did you become a bold and daring science writer?
2: Um, Okay, so I've been researching and writing about issues related to children's health for almost 20 years now. That kind of dates me. Um, And what happened with me is I, you know, I actually have an academic background. I have a PhD. My PhD is in the humanities. And I thought I wanted to, I've always wanted to teach people who wanted to learn. Um, And then I had a baby and I had sort of the super model in my mind that you could just do everything all at once and have an incredibly successful career and raise a really happy, healthy family and women could do it all, right? Because women can do it all. Well, it's not true when women can't do it all. And I found that I was so drawn to being at home and not at home, but to taking care of my daughter and I was so keenly interested in everything that had to do with her health and well being and happiness, as every new mom is. And I had to go back to work when she was six weeks old. I was teaching full time at Emory University, I was a visiting assistant professor there. And as wonderful as that was, I felt like I had cut my arm off and left it at home. Mm-hmm. And I got the first speeding ticket of my adult life, speeding home between my classes to nurse her. And, you know, I had always wanted to have children. And I thought that, that you know, that you just kind of have your kids. And I didn't realize how much we're up against when we become parents. And how many things are thrown at us that are not science or evidence-based. And what happened, Bernadette, was that there was like this friction between what I thought was right and how I was being treated. And so I basically did a really deep dive and the, you've heard this story before, but you know, right when my daughter was born, it was a very difficult labor. It was in the hospital. I, you know, 22 hours of labor. And for the first 15 hours, the nurses were like, nothing not even a dimple, meaning that I hadn't even, my cervix hadn't dilated to let the the baby out. I was very discouraged physically and mentally. I would say that I had a very abusive hospital birth, and this was in Atlanta, Georgia. And so then when the baby was born, you know, you hold this unbelievably precious creature in your arms, someone you've never met before, but has been part of you for not only your whole life, but for all of the women who came before you. And all you want to do is protect her. And meanwhile, they're trying to rip her out of my arms. And they're telling me, you know, they're, they're scrubbing her with this, you know, perfumed soap. And then, and then the nurse comes in with a tray and says, okay, it's time for her hepatitis B vaccine. And I, my face just went completely flat. I felt that sort of terror that you feel when you're getting into a fight or flight and i was a very educated person my husband and i were both graduate students at emory university in atlanta and i knew because we had gotten a marriage license and because i had had excellent prenatal care that i did not have hepatitis b that it was a sexually transmitted disease i knew that my husband did not have hepatitis b we had been in a monogamous relationship and i knew that there was absolutely no chance that my daughter could get hepatitis b and they wanted to stick a needle in her thigh within an hour of her being born and all I said I didn't say no Bernadette I just said I need some time to research this I want to talk to her doctor and the nurse got furious at me and you know very angry narrowing her eyes changing her entire demeanor as if I had somehow just become a bad mother And the last thing you want when you've just had a baby is to be a bad mother, Bernadette, right? I really wanted to do exactly what was right. So I walked around for two weeks, absolutely terrified. I mean, one of the things I did was I actually called the CDC and they never called me back. This was the age before the internet was really getting off the ground. You couldn't just, you know, go to DuckDuckGo and look something up, right? So so I, when we went in for the two-week checkup, I, had, I, t- I brought her to the pediatrician, and my husband and I were both like kind of confessing like we had done this bad thing because we'd been so shamed in the hospital for so many reasons. And the doctor was completely cavalier, and she said, oh, that vaccine's been counterindicated in newborns. And that's not exactly accurate, but what was so interesting to me is that that was the moment, I'm so grateful for her. That was the moment where I realized I had to take all of my health my child's health and my own health into my own hands. I couldn't just do what the doctor told me because a nurse was shaming me into getting something that a doctor two weeks later was telling me I absolutely should not have gotten. So Mm -hmm. it was an incredible moment of awakening. I had never had the idea that I would question anything to do with vaccines, but it sent me on a journey to question everything. To question
1: everything, that is so important. And you remind me that right now in many hospitals, women are having babies um people are very ill and they are not allowed to have with them um, a family member who can be that advocate who can listen and look up and be strong with them for them um, at these times and you know to prevent medical mistakes which do happen and doctors and nurses are wonderful people but they Do make mistakes, they're only human. Um, And then there is sort of the bullying of the medical industry toward their products. Um, I won't go into the story now, but um, my pop was once uh, kicked out of the hospital because we did our research and the drug they wanted to give him was extremely dangerous. And the drug we offered, which was very old and very safe and very inexpensive, um, was not what they considered standard of care, even though the doctor agreed it was the preferred medicine. They couldn't give it to him.
2: Um, anyway, I'm scrolling. Um, no, but so, I'd like to. I'd like to speak to that because yeah. you know it's incredible what helps women when they're having a baby, and you mm-hmm. know we've looked at this extensively. And the most important thing to know, which is this, which is the title of a of an article from the Atlantic, is that the most scientific birth is the least technological. And mm-hmm. so, what do women need when they're having when they're having a baby? They need to feel safe. They need to feel comfortable. They need to feel held. And how does that happen? That happens with having constant support. So we know if you have a constant support during labor, and I say we know because there was an excellent study that was done on this, so this is the peer-reviewed science, that you will not only have a shorter labor, but you'll have a better memory of the experience if you have constant labor support. And what are we doing? We're taking away the support from women. Mm-hmm. So a woman who's, you know, f- almost 4 million, our population is going down, but approximately 4 million babies are born in the United States each year, and only about 2% are out of hospital birth. So the vast majority of women as we speak are giving birth or planning to give birth in the hospital. During this COVID-19 crisis, that is a huge Um, I don't want to say mistake, but that is a huge problem because Mm -hmm. if you go into a hospital and you're by yourself and you're being attended by strangers who may or may not be, I mean, they're, you know, overworked or exhausted or afraid, you are going to have a much harder time having a baby because you're not feeling safe and you're not feeling comfortable and you can't get out of the amygdala, the part of your brain that is, you know, causing anxiety and fight or flight. So, I just, um, I would encourage all of your listeners to research um, freestanding birth centers and to talk to a midwife, a home birth midwife. Most people have never had an experience or an interaction with one. And to realize that with a low risk pregnancy, you're most likely safer if you have your baby outside the hospital, especially right now.
1: That's amazing. Do you have information about that on your website at jennifermargulis.net about um, birthing?
2: I do, I mean, I have, so there's an article section and I've written dozens of articles about home birth and about hospital birth. And yes, you can find all of them are referenced. Um, You can click on the links and read the science for yourself. What's really interesting Bernadette is that we have over half a dozen very large scale studies sort of looking at birth, right? And it's, these are difficult. You can, you can, as with any scientific study, you can find the flaws in them. But what you see consistently over and over again is that home birth is as safe or safer than hospital birth. A planned home birth in a low risk mom is mm-hmm. safe at home. With experienced midwives, I forgot that part. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, that that's wonderful. Um, We're going to move to a break, uh, but I I love that we're going to move from from birth to motherhood and your mother in particular. When we come back, you're listening to KKNW 1150 AM in Seattle. I'm Bernadette, your host, and we're with Jennifer Margulis, and we'll be back in a bit. Coming down
3: the track. Whether you are, whatever it takes. Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington state. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best health care decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org
0: today. Did you know that 70 to 80 percent of your immune system resides in your gut lining? Ion Gut Health goes beyond probiotics to strengthen this barrier and balance your microbiome the natural way. This soil-derived supplement is scientifically proven to reinforce your first line of defense, keeping harmful foreign particles out of your bloodstream. Maintain a healthy immune system so that it can protect you when you need it most. Support your immune system with Ion Gut Health. Learn more at IonBio.com.
3: We all know that vitamin C is an essential nutrient our immune system needs. But did you know there's scientific evidence that vitamin C can be used safely and effectively to boost your body's immune system to fight infections? To learn how you can live life to the fullest, find the vitamin C expert Dr. Paul Anderson on Instagram and Facebook by searching DRA online or visit at consultdranderson.com today. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. I promise to keep, don't go back to sleep, the door is round and open, no and the river
1: Welcome back to Lift Your Spirits Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington. Your host today and with me is Jennifer Margulis, science writer extraordinaire, a woman who's bold and brave and writes the facts as she sees it. And we, before the break, we were talking about the process of giving birth and the empowerment um, that is so important and, and the support that's so important. We're going to flip things around now and move to Jennifer talking about her mother. In fact, one thing that you said earlier on, I want to back up for a minute because you said that when you're holding your brand new baby, um, you're holding somebody who's been a part of you, your whole life and a part of your mother and your grandmother, something like that. There's science in what that said. That's not just being woo woo, right? That's, You know, you're born with all the eggs that are going to be your children. And tell us the science of that. And then and then we'll go to your mother
2: well it's actually it's a good it's a perfect segue because you know of course we are all all of our genetic material everything that we have comes from our ancestors and it has generation after generation after generation so yes a a little girl because I have three daughters Bernadette and a son um a little girl is born with all of the eggs that she's going to have in her you know in her ovaries for her entire life and so there is a real way where you've always carried your children with you and I don't know if you had that experience when you had a baby but it's like I know you but Mm -hmm. I have to learn who you are and you know and you see that as your child grows up too because you know you see so many things that remind you maybe of your mom or your grandma or your you know, somebody, your uncle, and you think, where did that come from? Where did that mm-hmm. child get that? And, you know, that kind of brings you to the whole nature and nurture thing. But one thing that's very interesting is that I have my mother's mitochondria. So my mother was Lynn Margulis. Um, she was an evolutionary biologist who had ideas about evolution that originally were considered completely heterodox. And in fact, she was Always getting into sort of scientific debates. She challenged a very male, very, um, you know, conventional establishment um, in biology and microbiology. And she has a theory about evolution that completely changes what we understand to be the mechanism. And what's interesting is that the mitochondria, the sort of powerhouses of the cell, are passed down from mother to daughter. You know, they're matrilineal. So I wasn't just making it up when I was talking about <laughs> having my, you know, my mom and my grandma and all the other generations standing behind us as you do as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, that so that is fantastic. And so the, the term symbiosis, which we mentioned earlier, tell us about that and how it relates to your mom
2: okay so we have to get a little bit technical stop me if i'm getting too technical and i should say i'm not a biologist and so i'm you know it's very easy to get things a little bit wrong and i will try not to do that but the idea of symbiosis is that you know um that we in, in in the years in recent years we've been learning about how important it is the microbiome and how we have this microbial world that lives in us and on us as do every other creature there are bacteria everywhere there's bacteria in the soil there is bacteria that can live within grains of sand there's bacteria in the ocean and the idea of symbiosis is that the primitive bacteria so these are called prokaryotic cells that primitive that a primitive is the wrong word. See, right now, my mom would be like, they are not primitive. They are more sophisticated than we are. They are <laughs> smarter. They are survivors. But anyway, early, let me say it that way. The early bacteria actually are free. were once free living organisms that then became integrated into more complicated cells. So eukaryotic cells are the more complicated cells they're cells that have a nucleus some of those cells have chloroplasts if they're in plants they have mitochondria and the idea that my mother proposed was that chloroplast in plant cells and um were once free living organisms so mitochondria and chloroplast mitochondria which are in all cells were once free living bacterial cells let me say it like this ingestion without digestion two cells get together and one of them might try to eat the other. And instead of eating each other, they end up folding together. That's the idea of symbiosis. And you see it on the micro level. And in fact, those that theory has been, quote unquote, proven as much as you can sort of prove science. So she, people thought that she was absolutely nuts. This is not important. What are you talking about? No, no, no. And then it turns out with electron microscopy, we could actually see that indeed it is true that that our organelles and our cell and our complicated animal cells were once free living organisms, the chloroplast and the mitochondria. But it also happens at the macro level. So that's the micro level. You know, we have species all who are living symbiotically. And in fact, we can't really survive without, I mean. I think that they've done experiments about this with sterile mice, where you try to kind of wipe out their entire microbiome. And what you see is because, you know, mice have it, bees have it, Bernadette. Mm-hmm. Bees live in symbiosis with all sorts of bacteria. Isn't that kind of fascinating? Yeah. I mean, it's it's just also, in any case, what it means is that this is a model of cooperation because it's a model of symbiosis. It's that species from different you know, absolutely different species come together to help each other. And that you see that as a mechanism of evolution. And there's something else to that, which is that we think of evolution as something that happened in the past. It sort of happened and it's done. And now we're at the pinnacle humans, right? My mother didn't think that at all. She didn't like humans. She said that, I mean, she she loved individuals, but she said that our species just smacked of arrogance. and Oh, that's so true self-appointed sapiens, meaning that we were self-appointed to be wise, but that actually we were not that smart. She was an environmentalist before it ever became popular. She was somebody who rode her bicycle everywhere. She was talking about the primacy and the importance of the microbial world. And she said, she said, oh, my daughter says I'm a feminist because I'm a woman in science. I couldn't care less. I'm not a feminist. But if she wants to say so, fine. I am a spokesperson for the prototista. You know, she (laughs) The whole thing was that we have to pay more attention to the small things, to the microscopic world because it is a, like we are, we think of ourselves as these incredible humans, so intelligent, changing the world, trying to get us into Mars, you know, like uh, Elon Musk is doing. But my mother thought of us as walking skyscrapers of bacteria.
1: I I love that. I love that. Um, And, and yet in the infinite wisdom of these people who name themselves, you know, sapien and, and king of wisdom um, are at war with microbes um, right now, a major war all over the planet, which is so infuriating, right? It's like we talked about earlier that uh, people who are healthy and eating well and exercising, they they are becoming skyscrapers that are very much um, beautiful, healthy hosts, so that you don't have, um, I guess you don't have microbes living where they don't belong, right? Kind of thing. I've I've heard that you could you could swab anybody at any time in any, any orifice. <laughs> you know, you probably got some COVID in your nose, you know, and flu or whatever. But unless as long as you're healthy and your mucosal lining is healthy and everything there is healthy, you don't get invasion. You don't get any troublemaking happening with that. And Western medicine, allopathic medicine, as I said earlier, sort of acknowledges the opposite. They acknowledge that times of of stress and when your body is, is in this weakened condition, pathogens can invade. But they do not empower individuals to say, okay, here are the tools, the building blocks of what you need to do to live symbiotically, you know, in the world. No, we're at war with this invisible enemy. And, you know, this COVID chaos has led us to the point where we can no longer tolerate public health agencies doing this waging, because when you wage war on microbes, you're waging war on yourself. It's self-defeating.
2: Right? Yes, absolutely. That was so well put. And we shouldn't, you know, it's the, what I, what I like to tell people is that I believe that this represents a fundamental misunderstanding about our relationship with microbes, including with viruses, right? So with viruses and bacteria. So we finally were in, I think, phase three here in Southern Oregon. We have about 225,000 people in Jackson County. And as I said before, we've had zero deaths. And you know, in the newspapers today, you're seeing some uh, headlines that say, cases in the United States are rising. Well, the number of cases, as you just so eloquently explained, is actually irrelevant relevant because people are living are cohabitating like you said with many different viruses and bacteria the question is if the cases become severe if people get very sick and i don't want to downplay that because it's absolutely devastating and we have had many many devastating deaths and you know the issue is not getting the virus the issue is succumbing to the virus or getting incredibly sick from it but what's so important to remember is that we are our viruses. I mean, that's something that my mother said, you know, we actually have pieces of genetic pieces of viruses in our own human genome that we have always been co-evolving to live with these viruses. And that a virus, I mean, I don't mean to give the virus agency, but I'll just say it this way anyway, and your biologists who are listening might roll their eyes at me. Um, but, you know, a virus does not want to kill its host. It The virus does not want you to, to die. It doesn't want to get out of balance. It wants to find a way to live in balance with you. And that's what symbiosis is all about, is that we have all sorts of microbes in us and on us. And when they get out of balance or, and also fungi, of course we have yeast. Everybody who's listening has had a yeast infection or a child with a yeast infection at some point, probably. What's happening there is not, you can't scrub out all the yeast that live on your body, the fungi, right? You don't want to, but you want them to be in balance. So the question that everyone should be asking is how do we get into balance? How do we stay in balance? How do we keep ourselves healthy? Not do we avoid every human on the planet because we are humans and we thrive all mammals thrive from active touching if you take rats rat pups. And you know what a what a mother rat does with her pups is she licks them, licks them, licks them. You've seen a cat do that with its scratchy mm-hmm. tongue, and that's actually stimulating growth hormone. It's the same with humans. It's why we have to make an effort to touch our teens even though it's so hard. But teenagers like every other human needs active, they need touching, they need active touching and that's how we grow. And so then adults need growth hormone too. We're not growing up anymore, but it keeps our bones strong. So If you take humans and you tell them never to talk to other humans, if you're spraying down every surface with antibiotic spray and bleach, you are actually disrupting the microbiome and you're disrupting a human immune system to be able to strongly fight an infection. Add that all of the environmental, other environmental toxins that we're being exposed to and you have a perfect storm of unhealth or dis-ease. And that's exactly what we don't want. want. our humans and our Americans to be healthy.
1: Exactly. Just beautifully said. That's that's the world I envision moving forward. I And that all of us who begin to understand this need to actively work toward that world. We can't sim, sit back and just, you know, and hope for it as individuals take charge in our own lives to do it, and then take action to ensure our public health agencies begin to switch from war to peace and to build true health. This is what needs to happen. We need to rebuild all of our public health agencies to know this. So I'm very excited about your new project that you're working on because you're writing about your mother and all these wonderful ideas. So is it it a biography of her life?
2: Yeah, so the book right now, the title might change, but it's called A Brief History of Life. And the book is actually about so my mother grew up on the south side of Chicago. She got into college when she was 14 years old. She went to the University of Chicago. When she was 16 years old, she met this tall, handsome stranger on the steps and that person ended up being the astronomer Carl Sagan, who's probably familiar to you. So my mother, Lynn Margulis and Carl Sagan got married when she was um, 19. They met when she was 16 and they had their first child who's my oldest brother, Dorian, when she was 21. So my book is actually about three things. It's about the history of life on earth as she understood it, which is different from the history of life on earth as we learn in the textbooks. and so it's about her, the history of life on earth and her science. It's about her life growing up on the South side of Chicago and her experience, um, uh, you know, being married to Carl Sagan and also later in life. And then it's about my relationship with her. And, mm. you know, full disclosure, I, my relationship with her was not easy. I have three brothers, and she was delighted to finally hold a little girl in her hand. She didn't think it was possible for a girl baby to come out of her body. And she used to say she had three sons and a daughter and a half. But as you might imagine, my mother and I both have really strong personalities, Mm -hmm. and it's it's not an easy story to write. So it's actually more... of a a memoir interwoven with science and biography than a straight biography. Someone is writing a biography of my mom that's gonna come out from Random House, but my book is being published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt and it's gonna be, I hope, very compelling and readable and eye-opening. I'm so looking forward to reading
1: it. And one of the things I, I adore about your writing is you can take very complicated subjects and and make them very human and accessible. Uh, all of your writing is is like that. And so you help lead people on these amazing journeys. I mean, everybody everybody is capable of understanding science it's just you just need the the right person who who can frame it for you in a way that makes it accessible so i so appreciate you as a writer for that among many other things so did you have access to her to diaries or or something to um
2: Yes, my mother um, was a tremendously prolific writer her entire life. She started a journal, her first journal when she was 11 years old, and I've read that journal twice now. It's just, it's an astounding document, to be honest. Um, She also, and so she kept um, journals her entire life, and then she also had major correspondences with basically every Nobel Prize winning scientist. And what's really interesting is, so my mom was born in 1938, right? And her name was Lynn, L-Y-N and that could be a man's name or a woman's name and that actually I think served her quite well because people she wrote to every scientist she wrote to was a man and they all assumed they would write back to her and say dear Mr. Sagan or (laughs) dear Mr. Alexander so she kind of got you know she was she wasn't treated like an anomaly which she really was I mean there were so few women in science back then um she was just treated as a call as an eager younger colleague so I have all of her papers as well and, you know, her letters and everything that's informing the book.
1: Oh, that is going to be so interesting to read. Um, I want to talk more about that when we come back, but I also want to give an opportunity for anybody out there who is listening um, to give a call. If you've got a question for Jennifer, um, we've got uh, an 888 number. It's 888-298-5569, or there's a local number you can call 425-373-5527. So if you want to call in, uh Jennifer you can put that on your Facebook page maybe. So you're listening to Lift Your Spirits Radio 11:50 a.m. KKNW um out of Seattle with Jennifer Margulis in Portland. We'll be back in a bit. Oh.
0: Did you know how your immune system protects you from illness? Wish you knew more about what lifestyle choices you could make to keep your immune system strong? What healing approaches might work best for you? Well, tune in on the first Friday of each month when the host of Lift Your Spirits Radio will be Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington. Bernadette will be joined by medical and science experts to discuss healthy immunity and how you and your family can achieve it. You can reach Bernadette Pager at InformedChoiceWA.org
1: contact me dina marie visit dina-marie.com thank you so much for listening
0: so you know all healing begins in the cells and for the cells to do their job well they need the right nutrients like vitamin c and d and gases like oxygen did you know that there is a treatment that infuses every cell of your body with oxygen hyperbaric oxygen therapy hbot for short is a safe and effective medical treatment that can be used in therapies for many injuries and diseases. HBOT was actually used successfully during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic to treat hypoxia and respiratory failure. And it's now being used to successfully treat COVID-19 as several clinical trials are underway. HBOT increases your production of glutathione, which is critical to immune function and increases stem cell proliferation. To learn more about this century-old technology that is the future of medicine, visit hbotnews.org today. That's hbotnews.org. Ready to
3: shake things up? Try Alternative Talk 1150. Don't go back to sleep. The door is round and open.
1: Welcome back to Lift Your Spirits Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington, your host today. And with me is Jennifer Margulis, the amazing science writer. You know, before I forget, Jennifer, um, oh, actually, let me throw that number out there again. If anybody wants to ask Jennifer a question, we've got a call-in number, 888-298. 5569 or locally 4253735527 three, five, five, but you had mentioned to me on the
2: break a museum in germany is
1: doing a tribute to your mom tell us about that
2: yeah, so it's the ZKM Museum, and they are actually doing um, a huge display that's going to be open to the public. I think in a in a week or two now. It was closed because of coronavirus, um, but it's called Critical Zones at the. ZKM Museum, and my mother did a lot with geology as well as with biology, and she is one of the people who is credited with helping spread the Gaia hypothesis. Um, That was a hypothesis that was first written and thought through by an independent scientist named Jim Lovelock, who just celebrated his 100th birthday and is still alive. And so the museum is curating an exhibit by Bruno Latour, who's a very famous French philosopher. And it's looking at critical zones, the importance, basically, of the Earth's crust. So some of my my mother's original field microscope will be in that exhibit, as well as some incredible electron microscopy photographs and letters.
1: I wonder if they're going to um, give allow virtual tours or have something online for people to visit.
2: You can visit it online already. There is a virtual portal. So they did okay. do the opening. The grand opening started virtually, and now people can actually go. Also, her original editions of her books, my mother was tremendously prolific. She wrote so many science books in her life. Um, well, so you can see those all on display there, too.
1: Will you be putting um, on your website, which is jennifermargulis.net, will you be putting... Um, Uh, a link to that and, and to information about your mom that listeners can.
2: Yes, I should do that. Post tape. What a good idea. Yeah.
1: So (laughs) so listeners give her a bit of time since it's not up there now, but there's plenty to explore uh, even before that. Um, So I'm going to move on a little bit in this last bit as we wait to see if anybody has any questions for you, because, you know, we want to talk about, you know our, our our theme is symbiosis and does it hold the key to health and happiness in covid-19 so um today in washington state um, there is a statewide requirement order mandate. Nobody's quite sure the legal status of this that came from Governor Inslee and Secretary of Health Wasteman that, you know, if you're out in public or uh, outdoors or indoors, indoors, you always have to wear a mask and outdoors if you can't space um six feet to wear a mask and there's a lot of controversy over this and especially you know if you go to Informed twist washington website there's a an article up uh, that said the um, capabilities of cloth masks didn't change so why did the messaging so why are we being asked to wear things that cannot ever block a virus i've heard it described as putting up a chain link fence to stop a mosquito Um, And then, you know, people wear these basic germ catchers on their face, which they touch all the time. And then they trans, you know, they become sources of transmission and all the science says that. Um, And, and really by blocking your face and, and doing all this, it's sort of the opposite. It's not that we want to give people COVID by not wearing a mask, but we understand that the mass doesn't help and it potentially harms right um and there are safe things that you can do um to live in harmony and be respectful so talk about what do you do to be respectful
2: of everybody around you and yet live in harmony and not fear sure i mean it's the the it's interesting because we're having the same uh ordinance here in oregon in the northern part of the state where our governor has also said that people are required to wear a mask but interestingly in lincoln city county they said everyone but people of color is required to wear a mask and that made national news people were absolutely outraged because either the masks aren't working or the public health authorities were ready to throw all of the people of color under the bus, right? Because it couldn't it couldn't be both. If the mask is really gonna help keep you safe, how could you possibly say people of color shouldn't wear them? Or maybe the mask isn't really keeping you safe. So what people don't realize is that wearing a mask is not benign anyone with breathing problems, anyone with lung um, compromised lungs is is going to potentially have a problem when they're wearing a mask. The other thing is that if you are a trauma survivor, if you've been raped, if you've been suffocated or held down by somebody who was wearing a mask, then you are going to have an anxiety attack and PTSD every time you put a mask on. If you have sensory processing disorder, if you are are struggling with autism, if you have hearing loss, if you are deaf, we can't talk to people. But there are things, right? Because you can't mm-hmm. see their faces. I, I actually find it very triggering and terrifying when I see people, especially when they're wearing black masks. And that's um, it's very hard if you've survived some kind of trauma to deal with a masked world. But and, and I have to say, there is a lot of science on both sides. I mean, you can, you can. It was very interesting. I heard a Nobel Prize winner talking about this, and he was actually really, really um, complimenting Sweden for their public health uh, initiatives. And when they, and he was also saying in the same breath that he thought that people should be wearing masks. But what's interesting is I've been interviewing doctors in Sweden and no one in Sweden has worn a mask. Um, where I mean, very few people, it has not been part of their public health. Of course, the doctors in the hospitals have been wearing masks. So, you know, you can really find information on both sides. But one thing we absolutely know is that wearing a mask is not going to save anyone or make you feel good or make you healthy. Of course, if you're sick, Bernadette, you should stay home. I mean, one of the things is that our immune systems ask us to do that. And it's interesting that, that people are finally paying attention because how many times have you seen a parent say, oh, my kid had a fever and I gave them some, you know, I gave them a pill and I sent them to school. But the thing is, when you are feeling sick, your body, your immune system asks you to hide. You want to go to bed. You feel lethargic and tired. And there's a reason for that. Yeah.
1: And it's so important. There there are a couple things I want to touch on. Um, when your body gives you symptoms, I like to encourage people to say, Thank you, immune system. I'm tired and I feel like I just want to lay down and I'm really warm. I say, Thank you, immune system, because this is the evidence that my immune system is helping me find balance. It's it's sensing something's here, which is trying to do something, and it's leading me in a certain direction. I don't want to suppress the fever, although I might want to cool myself and become more comfortable with cold cloths, with... With uh, cold socks on my feet, you know, all of these things have been these old wisdoms from you know our mothers and grandmothers actually have been proven by science how they are helpful, and and we know that taking antipyretics um, increases severity because it's shutting down your immune system's ability to fight. And um, increases duration and increases likelihood of of poor outcomes to infection. So really, respecting that your immune system does marvelous things, that immune reaction can get out of control, you know. And so it is important to have the nutrients on board that you need to sustain a healthy immune reaction, so it doesn't go out of control. But I want to go back to the what you were saying about. about trauma and anxiety and and a whole lot of other reasons why people cannot safely wear a mask for psychological or physical health reasons and here's my here's my real concern and I've been reaching out to the community and trying to figure out how are we going to have answers to this because even before the statewide um, requirement whatever it is you would you would be glared at by some people because you're not wearing a mask. You would be challenged upon entry in places. Um, And that is going to become worse. And if you are somebody who experienced trauma, and that's why you can't put on the mask. Now, every single time you decide to leave home and you've got you it's like do I mask and put myself through that emotional trauma and and physical danger in order not to be bullied and stared at and harassed because they don't know who I am they don't know why I'm not wearing it or um you know do I you know it's It's stomach churning. It it raises your stress level before you've even left home because you know the world is going to be judging you. And there has been nothing from the governor, the secretary of health, public health department that has said, don't judge others. If they're not masked, you don't know why. Nobody's saying be kind.
2: No, in fact, our public health message is the opposite. Our public health message is don't inadvertently kill someone today as if you know, as if yeah. your very presence is going to harm someone. And that, that goes back to why, you know, a lot of people of color are are scared to wear masks for good reason, because when they put masks on, they are seen by racist police officers and other white people as, um, as a threat and a terror. So they feel like they are going to be seen as criminalized and even shot at, which is actually true if they're wearing a mask. But if they're not wearing a mask, they're going to be seen as selfish and not thinking of others. And, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous to mm-hmm. think that your health is, is that my That what I do or don't do is the major thing that's going to affect your health. We all have to take responsibility for our own health. And of course, we have to be careful and cautious and community-minded. But that has nothing to do with wearing a mask. I mean, we've thrown so many people under the bus with this, Bernadette. We've Mm -hmm. thrown people with hearing loss. We've thrown people who are deaf. In in this
1: state, they say, you know, if you're deaf, you don't have to wear it. Or if you're communicating with a deaf person, you can remove your mask to do it. People
2: don't know. They just see you walking down the street and they
3: yell at you. We I mean,
1: don't know people, that you're deaf. Right. People
2: who are running in the in without anyone within 35 feet of them get harassed and that yeah. for not wearing a mask. I mean, this is very. It, it goes back to why my mother didn't like humans because <laughs> our nature. Is it's very base and it's very yeah. disturbing and it's very trifle yes. in a way, like let's make us against them and let's try to kill the other. I mean it's 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 really a it, disappointing thing. It it, it it
1: really is. And I laugh, and yet it is very serious business to desocialize people, to turn um the the, the public health agencies are really using the public against each other it's to true. push their agenda and their requirements, which are not scientifically based, at no. least not on a very broad integrated way. And that leads us to, you know, the fact that they're telling, even though that there are a safe and effective treatments, um, which are not being discussed, um, and uh, even though they're safe and effective preventives, like taking care of yourself and getting having adequate vitamin D levels, and all of that to make sure you are immune resistant. And they're saying we have to wait for a vaccine and they're rushing the vaccines through and they're some of them are on novel platforms never even used in humans before the chief scientists um, and medical doctors out there are those who are usually very pro-vaccine are really voicing a lot of concern for the fact that people are being pushed and made so afraid they might be willing to line up to be test subjects because that's what they're going to be. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Um, You know, we have a, we've had a population explosion among humans there are over what is it 7.8 billion people on the planet and most of those people have been the very recent history and I think that if people are going to be lining up to get an unsafe and untested vaccine we're going to see many many more problems than we've actually seen with COVID-19, what your listeners need to know is that there has never been a safe and effective um, vaccine against a COVID or a coronavirus. Um, So the idea that we could do one when the average time to develop a safe vaccine is 20 years, the idea that we could do one in 18 months is kind of like chasing a unicorn.
1: Uh, yeah, I've heard Dale Bigtree. In fact, let's give a shout out to The High Wire with Dale Bigtree. You can find him on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, he talks about the vaccine unicorn that's being chased and really the, the virus, because it does want to live in harmony with humans, is evolving and changing, and we're learning about it, and it will burn out and not be a dangerous thing before any safe and effective vaccine can ever be brought to market which
2: is a fantastic thing for human health and a terrible thing for big pharma
1: yeah yeah exactly and you know but again the the covid chaos is pointing out a lot of things that need to be changed and i'm glad we're talking about it and i'm so glad you're out there with your intelligence and wisdom your ability to translate science to person and um so check out JenniferMarglis.net, listeners, and look at Your Baby Your Way. It's a great way to be introduced to Jennifer and all that she's about. I really highly recommend it. It's a great read, great gift for your friends. So I'm going to leave listeners now. I'm going to say thank you, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me, Bernadette. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, very simple message regarding health. Please read deeply. Think critically, act accordingly, love yourself, love your neighbors, hug, run, laugh, love, um, be respectful of others. Everybody, please be kind. Stay well, my friends, and make it a healthy day.
3: Back to sleep, the doors round and open.